Now we're going to read our sermon scripture now, if you'll follow along with me from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Since the dawn of mankind, God has been calling his creature, creation to look forward, to look heavenward for our true home and reward. Adam and Eve were created by God, blessed with the breath of God, his spirit, placed in the garden. There was no fear, no danger, and they enjoyed communion with the creatures God had made. I can't imagine that, that they were able just to roam with the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and enjoy them. But better than that, God would come and walk with them in the garden. Had to be a wonderful time, wonderful moment, until they disobeyed. And God had to cast them from the garden and then their life of perfection turned into a life of toil and turmoil. Time passed, mankind grew in numbers. Generations, generations went on. And then we get to Noah. When Noah lived, evil had really penetrated the lives of mankind. And God had had enough. Genesis 6, 6 tells us the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. The evil of mankind gave God pain. There was one righteous man, however, and that's Noah. Genesis 9, 6, 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And Noah responded to God's call to build an ark. And some of us went and saw the ark, and today if God said something like that to us, we'd have an idea of what he wanted. But Noah had no idea of what an ark would be, what a boat would be, I don't guess. They perhaps had lakes and little rafts, but nothing like God decreed him to build, but Noah obeyed. He built the ark. When the time came, God called the animals, and it filled the ark and Noah obeyed and as a result he his family and the animals were saved from destruction fast forward generations to Abram later known to us as Abraham Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees and Ur of the Chaldees today is believed to be about halfway between Kuwait on the Persian Gulf and Baghdad uh, the capital of Iraq Genesis 12 tells us that God said, Abram, I want you to get up and go to a land I'm going to show you. Land he didn't know about. Land hundreds of miles away would take a long time to travel there. They got up and they went. Abraham believed God. Later, the Bible tells us Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Subsequently, God gets Abraham to the land of Canaan lets him look over the land and tells him that's going to be his land. And Abraham, who had no children, was told by God that God was going to make him a father of nations, 
a patriarch of people so numerous that they wouldn't even compare to the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. Didn't happen right away. Many decades passed. Abraham was a hundred years old when God gave, finally gave them Isaac, but God kept his promise. God made him the father of nations, and most importantly to us, made him the father of the Israelites, the Hebrews. Fast forward another several hundred years, and we come and we find the nation of Israel in Egypt. A famine had come. Joseph, of course, you remember that story, and they moved down to Egypt. They were favored by the Egyptians. Joseph was highly regarded, but after some 400 years, Pharaohs came in, and they didn't know who Joseph was, and they got scared of the Hebrew people. They started to oppress them and make slaves out of them. And the people cried out to God, and God sent a deliverer in Moses and said, I want you to go to a land I'm going to take you to. Well, after some fits and starts, they did get to go into that land, the land of Canaan, the land God had promised Abraham. And God enabled them to win their battles and to settle the land. And they did that, and they saw the promise of God. Over and over again, as we read the Bible, we have these occasions where God calls to His people, come, be a part of my kingdom, be a part of what I'm doing, I want you with me. And there were successes and failures. Too often the people didn't obey God, they didn't do what He said, and they didn't receive His blessing. But to those that did, God blessed wonderfully. We read early in the chapters of Gospels, Jesus calling 12 men to follow him and become his disciples. Regularly, we read Jesus saying, come, follow me. And in the passage we read today, Jesus is extending that call for all people to leave the kingdom of this world and become part of the kingdom of God. We relate the kingdom of God to heaven, and rightly so. That's where God is. Of course, God is everywhere, but we personify Him and place Him in heaven. We think about one day when we pass, if we know God, we're going to go be in His kingdom in heaven. But the truth is, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we become a citizen of His kingdom right here on earth, right now. We are already a part of that eternal kingdom. When we accept Jesus' atoning work on our behalf and surrender our lives to Him, we instantly become part of God's kingdom. It begins here on earth and it continues in heaven when we die and pass from this world and into the presence of Almighty God. Those who believe in Jesus Christ as a Messiah and accept His redemption of our spirit by His death on the cross, immediately possess that promise of hope, of life eternal in heaven with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But our citizenship begins here on earth. And these passages on Matthew that we've been studying these many weeks, Jesus is telling us how to live like citizens of heaven. In our passage today, Jesus teaches that one way we do that 
is to let go of what we cherish here on earth and instead reach out and grasp the treasures of God. Jesus points out that the things of earth are temporal. They're destroyed by moth, rust, and stolen by thieves. And just as the things we strive to accomplish here on earth are temporal, we are temporal in our existence. James 4.14 says it like this, Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're referred to as a vapor. And whether we live to be 90 years old into our hundreds, that's really just a speck in the timeline of eternity. We are here just a short while. Isaiah was told to write, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So even if we do live a long, healthy life, and we're on this long, this earth a long time, again, it's just a blip of our full eternal life. And we should realize that we are eternal, whether we've accepted Christ or not. We get eternal life when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord. But before that, we possess eternal death, separation from God for eternity. God, when He created Adam, it says that He breathed into Adam His Spirit. And it gave us that divine spark that all humans have. And we are going to exist as a spirit through eternity for the rest of time. The question is our destination for eternity. But when we believe Jesus Christ, we have that eternal life. And so Jesus is teaching us that we can enjoy life more here on earth if we follow His decrees, if we obey Him, if we live according to how He would have us to live. Jesus follows His teachings. He ends that part of the chapter with the admonishments to not worry. And he reminds us, we, the things we worry about, we can't change. Just as he told us not to swear because we can't change the color of our hair or any of those kind of things, life is going to progress. We can worry about tomorrow, but we don't know, as James said, what's going to happen tomorrow. Could be a great day, could be trouble. And so Jesus says, rather than worry, trust in Him. Believe that He is there. And He is there. He's already at our tomorrow. He's at our next year in 20 years and however long we have. And so He is there and He can prepare us. He can prepare what we need for that time. And so rather than worry and act like we have some impact upon that to trust in Him, to believe in Him. We often say, I believe in God. And if I asked for a show of hands, I believe everyone here would raise their hands and say, I believe in God. And that's good. That's proper. 
But there's a better question we need to answer. Is, do I believe God? Leave out the in. I believe in God, but do I believe God? Do I believe what He has said in His Word? Do I believe that what He is teaching is the right way, the blessed way, the way to godliness? Do I believe that He is in my tomorrow and is going to take care of me in those times? So there's a difference in believing in God. James also wrote, the demons believe and shudder. So if you believe in God, you're in the company of the demons. But if you believe God, you're in the company of saints, of His redeemed, of those who are going to enjoy everlasting life in heaven. And so that is our question, is do we believe God? Jesus tries to embed this concretely in our thoughts about not worrying and trusting Him when He reminds us that God cares about the birds of the air. He knows when even a sparrow falls and that He covers our fields with wonderful flowers, beauty, and they don't toil or spin. God wants to do beauty, wants to do goodness. He wants to do that in your life. And so we come to that place. God says, are you not much more valuable than they? And of course we are. Jesus Christ didn't come and die on the cross for the birds or the flowers, as great as they are of His creation. Jesus came, suffered the indignities of man against Him, died on the cross for you, for humans, for mankind. He paid that price so you could have a relationship with Him, so you could have a good relationship with Him, so you could have abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give life and that more abundant. And we can often wonder, we can often ponder, well, my life doesn't feel very abundant. And that's where we need that introspection. But one thing we can take to the bank is Jesus did not go through all of that suffering. He did not go through His crucifixion on the cross or His death or descent into hell, which the Bible says He did to set the captives free. He didn't do that to then say, okay, and just abandon us, to leave us, to not have anything to do with us. He did that so we could be His brother and sister so that we could be a child of God, so that we could be heirs of heaven and heirs of all that the Father has for us. And Jesus isn't going to throw that away as a once and done process. But in the process, we do tend to not speak up. We tend to not do our part. We need to develop the realization that our grasp includes material things. Money is what we typically think of when we think of treasures. But there are many other things we treasure. And as I think about the, a picture here, I think about that, that uh, I'm, say, in a boat and I've got a, a rope holding on to or my, my pole over here that's caught something 
but I need to get to shore and I'm reaching out. But the only way I can reach this side is to let go of that side. What prevents us from receiving those things of God is our grasp on the things of this world that we won't release, that we won't let go of, and that keeps us from being able to reach to Him. And that includes, like I said, more than just money. It, whatever we grasp for hinders or prevents. And that's one way we can know what it is that is keeping us from reaching to what God would have us to achieve. What we can know what our grasp is holding on to is by that evaluation and talking to God, Lord, what's keeping me from being able to receive your blessings? It is that realization that it's non-material things. We live for a nice home, land, or great vehicle, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not to become homeless hobos in what I'm presenting. It's good to have nice clothes, a fishing boat, or travels around the world. But often what we grasp hinders our obedience to God, and those things can be pride, prestige, popularity. We can place the approval of man above the approval of God. We can refuse to speak about God to our friends, co-workers, and family. We may refuse to rear our children in the ways of God because we don't want them to hate us. We refuse to reject or speak against sinful ways around us because we don't want to offend anyone. But in so doing, we may become an accomplice to their eternity without God because they haven't heard. In the process also, in not wanting to offend others, we offend our God. He's given us everything, literally, so that we could have fellowship with Him. He walks beside us. He's with us. But we abuse His grace because He is forgiving and gracious. He is merciful. And we don't want to receive the disapproval of those around us who are concerned with their advancement, not ours. Their well-being, not ours. And in that, we dismiss the one who loves us greater than anybody. The one who has done more for us. The one who will do everything for us. Sometimes we have strife with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we demand their respect and appreciation instead of doing what we do to honor our Creator Father. We harbor emotional wounds because we place our value in what others think of us or in how they treat us rather than rooting that value in the God that created us, knows us, loved us, died for us. By grasping things and the mindsets I've listed, we restrict God's blessings in our life. Paul warned us, quench not the Spirit. He also said, grieve not the Spirit. God, for, for in His economy, for whatever reason, being the all-powerful God who can snap His fingers and we become as dust and everything disappears, has chosen to let us control how much He's in our lives. We can quench His Spirit. We can grieve 
His heart when we disobey, go our own way. He doesn't ever stop loving us. He's that Father. He's always there waiting at the road to receive us when we understand the error of our ways. He welcomes us with open arms. When others uh, judge us and dismiss us, God receives us. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Proverbs. I love reading it. It's a regular part of my Bible readings. I have many favorites. One that comes to mind today that relates what I'm talking about, about seeking the approval of others, says this, Proverbs 25, 6 and 7, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than to humiliate you before nobles and ask you to step down so another can have the place. So it's saying, don't take the place of honor because you may be asked to leave. Proverbs 15, 7 says, better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. I think many of you could tell me growing up, we were talking a little bit before church about the differences, how it was. Easy to look back and think it was hard. Didn't have air conditioning. Somebody said they slept together in winter and slept apart in summer. That's how it was. Five and six, they were out working in the field helping to gather groceries. I'm sure many of you were there. It's a hard life. Now we run to the grocery store. We buy packaged meat. We packaged uh, vegetables, most of us. But we can also think back to those times that were tough when our families were large, when everybody had to have a role and had to work of the love within that family, the joy that existed. Hard times, sure. But sometimes... I have mixed feelings. I think about people with large families today and how many people they are facing losing. But on the other hand, I think about all the years they've enjoyed with brothers and sisters, many cousins. It's great. We can look at today with things, think back and think how hard it was, and it was hard. But there was also a lot of love in this passage that we've looked at today, Jesus is trying to reorient our focus on the things of God versus the things of this earth. He's trying to change our motivation to pleasing God rather than man. If we do some activity that God has to let us to do and our hearts desiring to please God, then the pain of man's rejection will be slight and dissolve as we have communion with our Father. And finally, we have God's promise that one day, after we have lived a life obeying and serving Him, that we will hear the words recorded in Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's what it's all about. 
Yes, living today has its toil, its turmoil, its troubles, its hard times, its sad times. Serving God can open us up to criticism, rejection, judgment from our people around us. But as we live for Him, serve for Him, He blesses us in this life. He provides for us in ways we can't imagine. But then we do have that glorious knowledge that on that day He calls us from this earth. He's waiting at the gates and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now enter into thy rest. If we can get that mindset, the mindset that Jesus is trying to impress upon us, that understand this time now is temporal. And again, it doesn't mean we have to live like uh, ascetic monks, it's often said. It's okay to have a good life, just so it doesn't rule us, just so it doesn't supplant God, and just so we understand every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to realize, to make our decision based on treasures in heaven, to store up treasures there, to store up rewards there. I had a young man I was in a singing group with in Atlanta. I was having tough times. He, was, he had done fairly well in life, a little older. So I went to Thad and said, hey, Thad, can you borrow me some money? Loan me some money. Excuse me, can I borrow some money? He said, I, I don't loan money, Wes. He said, if I had it, I'd give it to you. And then he shared where he's coming from. And we read, it was part of our passage last week, that if we do good deeds towards others and get that reward, we don't get the reward in heaven. And so his attitude was, I would give it to you if I had it so that I want to save that reward for later on. That was his heart. He was a great guy. He's since passed. That needs to be our heart. Doing what we do, believing in God, believing God, so that we're storing up rewards in heaven because those are going to be gooder than we can ever get here. And so that's what Jesus is doing all this teaching about how to be godly in our day-to-day lives, how to let go of those things that are hindering that walk with God so that He can bless us now and bless us then.